transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. Mars looming in the eastern sky. Jupiter and Saturn heavy and lingering to the south. The planets have been close at hand. And something about these weeks of wildfire smoke. All that mess in the atmosphere over our desert skies. has made the planets sinister and overwhelming. When I was a young child, maybe seven or eight years old, I had an ongoing series of dreams of nightmares. They were all the same and they all left me shaken. In these dreams I would walk outside in the evening and the sky was filled with planets. Not the bright dots we know, but planets as they looked in the NASA illustrations. In the textbooks. Jupiter, triple the size of our harvest moon. Saturn taking up a fifth of the sky. Its rings extending beyond the horizon. Mars red and bloody and heavy like you could reach up and touch it. Reach up and be struck down. Barely space for them all in the sky. What did it mean? This year, by late summertime, when I walked beneath Jupiter and Saturn and Mars, when even Venus felt heavy watching us, In those days before the scientists confirmed that evidence of biological life was within that churning hell of an atmosphere, I started to understand those nightmares of so many decades ago. As we enjoy this haunted season, let's keep the winter solstice in mind. The end of the autumn always comes too soon. 
But this year, winter solstice comes with a bonus. An extra. December 21 of the troubled year 20 and 20 will be both the winter solstice and the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, the Great Conjunction. If you're wondering where these planets are, if you're spending too much of the night inside instead of out in this crisp fall weather, the finest season in the desert once it finally decides to drop by, well, just go out and look at the moon. Did you know we have a full moon on Halloween? It's already so big out here, rising up over the Mojave Mountains, that you might think it's already full. Not yet. Not just quite. Look at the moon. around 9 or 10 p.m. and you can see its transit through the southern sky as it passes the very bright Saturn and Jupiter. And make sure you are outside for the moonrise on October 31. Mankind has tried to kill Halloween this year as it has tried for these past hundred years or so of disenchantment. But it has been in vain as Halloween appeals to our soul in these last months on the calendar. But our wretched society where we toil and struggle for nothing, while the evil undead rule our daytime affairs, poison our air, poison our water, murder our wildlife, Fill our skies with the very stuff that makes our summers more hot and miserable, our autumns more brief, our winters dry in the southwest. Well, our wretched present day cannot defeat Halloween. It cannot hide that we still live on a planet that passes through the constellations on its annual trip around the sun. Its strange dark dance with the stars and the planets. A lot of people who study such things, astrologers and augurs and witches and druids, and political pollsters, they tell us the Great Conjunction of 20 and 20 will be one for the history books. 
If this strange year hasn't already shaken your bones, well, hold on to whatever hasn't burned down or blown away. On average, the Great Conjunction occurs every two decades, every 19.6 years, if you're keeping track. The pioneering astronomer Kepler was trying to make sense of the nativity story and thought the legendary star of Bethlehem was the Great Conjunction of the year six in our common era. 2014 years ago, one of the proposed birthdays of Jesus of Galilee. We could not even see the last great conjunction in the year 2000 because the giant planets were obscured by the sun. But do you remember that year? Writers of old knew the old ways. And they knew the Great Conjunction always brought strange tidings, great changes. Dante, Roger Bacon, William Shakespeare all wrote of the weird times signaled by the rare Great Conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. The conjunction forms an immense triangle in our solar system, Saturn and Jupiter and Earth. Our home, terra firma, the blue planet. Let's save some of it. Jupiter represents not only the great sky god of that name, but also Marduk, Zeus, Thor, and I suppose Jesus, if Kepler was correct. Hindu astronomers called it Guru. And in China, it is the Fu star. Saturn is the god of agriculture, known as Cronus in the Greek world, Cronus being the god of the seasons, the god of time itself. What can we expect on this winter solstice ahead, these weeks between Halloween and the Yule time, the new year? When Jupiter and Saturn meet in Capricorn? Some astrologers say the Great Conjunction brings great social change. Well, why not? Why stop now? It does seem like we are on the knife's edge, doesn't it? And woe to those who think the first week of November will bring any resolution. This is Desert Oracle Radio, and I'm your host, Ken Lane. If you've received our new issue, that's number nine of Desert Oracle, you'll see we got a lot of interesting and strange things in there, including a feature by a character who goes by the name C. Del Desierto who wrote about tracking eagles down in the deserts of Southern California. 
Mr. Del Desierto, if that is your real name. Welcome to Desert Oracle Radio. Where are we talking to you? Hey, it's wonderful to be here. I am actually snuck out a bit early from the daily responsibilities, and I'm posted up underneath a mesquite tree in the desert just outside of Boulder City. And in fact, a little bit of trivia, I'd say it's uh, I'm at the site of McKeeversville, which is the precursor of Boulder City. And it's not much except for a bunch of tin cans now, but it's where all the old miners and such used to congregate before there was anything out here. Yeah, you might want to pile up some of those cans. You could have yourself an Airbnb rental. Yeah, well, with the way folks are moving further and further from Los Angeles, it might become some prime real estate any day now. All right, well, we, we won't give out the coordinates. Tell us how the weather is. If you're sitting outside, it must be one of those rare days in the Mojave where the weather is pleasant. It is, you know... I often think back, I've got a long history of long distance, cross country, et cetera, motorcycle travel. And what they told me when I first bought the bike was it's always either too hot or too cold. And if it's not too hot or too cold, it's too windy or it's raining. And we don't really get the rain, but I, I tell you, it kind of applies to the desert. It feels like it's rarely the right temperature, but when it is pleasant, my God, it's like heaven on earth, man. So it's we're in it right now. It's, it's lovely. That windstorm blew in and brought a bunch of birds and cool weather, and it finally feels like a new season after months of grueling heat. Yeah, I tell people you need to make sure you don't go out of town for the afternoon because you'll miss the good weather in the desert. Yeah, because it's usually like these last couple of days before Halloween. Not always, but... At least in uh, my part of the Mojave, that's when a little voice in the back of my head says, I guess it's time to get your jacket out of the closet. And it's worth it. I mean, it's, it does, they don't, they're not a long season, but uh, it does remind me of why I love to live here. And then, of course, we've got the glory of the spring to look forward to down the line. So tell us, without giving away too much a little about this piece that you've got in the new desert oracle about chasing eagles down in anza borrego that was a real joy to write because it's something i do every year and it's easily the most enjoyable part of my work i look forward to it every year i get to go down there in that perfect shoulder season of spring for two weeks at a time uh every single month in March, April, and May, and kick around in the mountains looking for eagle nests. So it's pretty much as good as it gets, in my opinion. All true, and in fact, I would say that's just the tip of the iceberg for the kind of stuff you see when you spend two weeks in the backcountry walking around in places that no human being was ever designed to go. And this you do as part of your job, and I've always got people writing in, often on postcards, and they say, what can I do to work in the desert natural environment? How can I make that my work, etc.? And you do this. Tell us what specifically you do and how did you get there? Yeah, you know, I might have gotten a little lucky, as is the way of things. Um, I grew up far from here in the East Coast and didn't even know what the Bureau of Land Management or the was or didn't have a concept of public lands or tall mountains or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so it was a shock to me when I first came out here 
on a road trip and ended up in West Texas. This is probably 2006, my first time out in the West. And I came out and I got lucky enough to land a job working with endangered falcons in West Texas. We were releasing birds, trying to reintroduce the population, working for a group named the Peregrine Fund. And that's all it took. You know, I'd been an outdoorsman and, and naturalist out of interest my whole life. But uh, that was my first foray into the professional world of it. And I haven't looked back. I'll never forget driving over the ridge in West Texas and seeing purple skies and lightning and seeing probably three or four different thunderstorms all at the same time. I'd never seen anything like that before as an East Coast kid. And I said to myself, I'm never going back. And I haven't, so I did a good job out there and managed to land a string of jobs working with endangered birds in Arizona, some more hawks and raptors in New Mexico, and kind of made my way throughout the West, lived in nearly every state, uh, and did a, a circuit, took me all the way up to actually the Black Hills of South Dakota, working with birds there, and uh, after a short sabbatical, if you want to call it that, in in Central America, South America, and the Marianas Islands, doing the same kind of stuff. I landed back here, and I've, I've been here now six years doing this uh, same work, and just really love every day of it. Now, it took a lot of temporary and seasonal and part-time stuff before you ended up doing this as a full-time position, isn't that right? It did. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't get into this business if you want to make money or <laughs> or have any sense of job security necessarily. Uh, I had to work a lot of jobs that you know paid for almost nothing but your food and gave you a place to stay. And I lived what I would consider pretty good but vagabond life for maybe seven or eight years doing that kind of work. And you're, you're traveling every four months. You never know where your next home's going to be. You don't have to pay rent, which is nice, but... You also are uh, never really sure if you're going to have to pack it all up in the car or in my case, the motorcycle and drag your way back home and grovel at your parents' doorstep for a place to stay. So there's a little bit of that uncertainty, but it keeps it exciting. If you stick with it like I, I did and a lot of my colleagues did, you, you may just end up with a, a full-time job uh, tracking eagles and, and such in the West. That's what I think about when I think about roving armies of biologists and conservation workers and trail workers, whatever, you know, it'd be very romantic. It'd be like hobos. Yeah, that's exactly what I liked about it. And you really simplify your life. You're always packing everything you own into whatever you're driving or whether it's a bus or a car or a motorcycle or whatever, you don't have a lot of room. So you've really got to learn to focus on what's important and simplify your life. And it brings that Zen quality, I would say. And maybe that sounds cliche, but it really brings a, a Zen quality to your lifestyle. And I think it, doing that for eight years gave me an outlook on life that will probably shape the way I live till the day I die. And then during your actual working day, you're outside under the skies, whether they be beautiful or cold and treacherous, but you're out there every day and talk about an average day of watching for whatever. Pick pick one of your jobs, one of one of, one of the birds. Yeah, certainly. You know, like any job, the more you do it and the better you get at it. They do try to shackle you with office work and report writing, 
and desk job type material. So that does happen. You know, there's no there's no denying that these days. I do a little more of that than I used to. But the, the glorious days out in the field are just as good as ever. Working with Eagles, again, is a good lens in which to view it. Um, sometimes you are, you're generally, the big picture generally is to try to figure out how they're doing, where their nests are, how many babies they're having, right? Uh, and so you do that by a variety of methods. Sometimes you're up in a helicopter, zipping around the mountains. We, I do quite a bit of that in the spring. It makes for a really cool bar story. It's less enjoyable than it sounds, but I really, what I really like is the ground-based stuff, and that's what I wrote about. You have a set of coordinates that may or may not be accurate, and you know there's stick nest tucked up in a mountain, cliff edge, somewhere near that coordinate, and you've gotta not only find it, but get high enough to get a good view of it and see what's going on. And so, as you can imagine, that brings a whole suite of skills, you know, navigation and backcountry survival and hiking and going up and down scree slopes in the desert and trying not to kill yourself while all the while you have a backpack with at least a day's supplies, if not more, and a spotting scope strapped to it. So not exactly a nimble beast at that point. Makes for a pretty adventurous couple of weeks. And of course, there's also the human element, you know, you spend enough time walking around the desert and you're going to run into wild creatures and you're also going to run into some strange individuals and that's uh, especially the case down in near the mexican border there's all kinds of strange things happening down there with both border crossers and the border patrol and the police state that the mexican u.s border has become that that really adds a an element of sometimes Sometimes fear, I would say, you know, you never know what you're going to get, but uh, it does make it feel a little bit more like uh, an adventure. The reason why I kind of rule out most of those places for backcountry hiking, camping this time of year, right on the border these days, is because it's just unnerving to go through those constant military checkpoints and the, you know helicopters over what were quiet, wild areas two decades ago. I think a lot of people don't even remember now that it wasn't always like that. It wasn't like that in very recent memory. I remember when I lived in West Texas and we would, just for kicks, we'd cross the border to drink tequila and kind of screw around in the bars. And you you would walk past the border post and slam your driver's license against the glass drunkenly. And they would give you the thumbs up and you'd walk back home, you know, and that was just... It was just easy as pie, and go get your your teeth drilled for 25 bucks a cavity. You know the border town or near Ohinaga. Um, go buy a pair of glasses back and forth, and it was it was no big deal. And that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it really me, it wasn't. Because was, yeah, just when I started out. What so. was that? 2006, you said? Yeah, 2006. Yeah, living out there in in West Texas, which. That, that Chihuahuan Desert is something else. I haven't been back recently, uh, but it's a, you know, there's a character in the Chihuahuan Desert that is markedly different than any of the others. So, you know, as much as I love the Mojave and the Colorado Sonoran Desert, I do miss the Chihuahua quite a bit. West Texas is, uh, it's a hidden gem. I lived on a ranch out there, actually, during an in-between time when I didn't have a job in the wildlife industry. I actually worked on a cattle ranch and did all the kind of stuff that I only thought existed in movies, you know, riding horses and branding cows and building fences and all that. 
And it took uh, it took about two and a half hours for us to go to the grocery store. So it was it really was out there. Now, see, I mean, most people they they hit a uh, uh, an unemployment spot and they got to go down to the Dollar General or something and <laughs> and get a job. You went and became a ranch hand on a, a real cattle ranch in West Texas. I did. It, it was one of the most formative experiences I had. I, I think that to me was kind of like my uh, my training for how to live in the West, you know, because I was I was still a pretty fresh, maybe not city, but suburban kid from the mid-Atlantic at that point. And I spent about a year in the area working with falcons and doing wildlife work. But I was still uh, pretty green. And this family took me on and even paid me a little bit, gave me a place to live. Uh, fed me a big lunch at the family table every day and taught me how to ride horses and do all that stuff. And I, I still think about that place every day. You know, I'm, there's something for anybody, but especially a kid who grew up near Philadelphia to go out on a horse on a 33,000 acre ranch and just ride as far as you can. Yeah, maybe singing a little tune, just like something out of a movie. And man, I'll, I'll never forget it. to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness this has been Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting on 107.7 FM in the high desert KCDZ with studios in Joshua Tree If you are lucky enough to be anywhere in the Southwest on this Halloween weekend, I hope you make the time for a walk underneath that immense October full moon. A time when the veil between the worlds is not only especially thin, but there's enough moody outdoor light that you might just see something that will scare the bejesus out of you. The tarantulas are out. This is their season to be wandering, so take uh, care and don't run over our tarantulas as they're crossing the road. They're harmless to people. They are beautiful and spooky reminders of the season. You can listen to us on Friday nights in the high desert anytime with our podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, consider throwing a couple of dollars to us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash desert oracle. Thanks as always to Red, Blue, Black, Silver for the music. Thanks to you for listening. I hope you have a horrifying Halloween. Go out there and see what might happen. 
wear your mummy mask or whatever. And good night from the voice of the desert. <laughs> <laughs>